Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor at Emerge Technology Research. You'll actually be hearing Daniel Fagella, Emerge CEO and Head of Research, conducting today's podcast. Today's guest is Dan Diazio, Global Artificial Intelligence Leader at ENY Consulting. Dan has spent the last two decades leading data and AI initiatives at the legacy financial services firm. He joins us today to talk about the challenges unique to legacy institutions in starting AI projects and laying the groundwork for organization-wide transformations from effectively cultivating data. Without further ado, here's their conversation. So Dan, welcome to the program. Happy to be here. You've not only got great experience to bring to the show, but you have a, a darn good first name as well. Good to have another another Dan with us. My, my editors are going to be always in a kerfluffle when these things happen. But either way, we've got plenty of things to talk about on the big picture. You guys are a very, very large services organization. You work with a lot of organizations. We've decided to unpack how enterprises measure and ensure that they see value from AI. Big topic, ton to cover. And I know you wanted to kick us off on the sort of bottoms-up approach that often was kind of the beginnings of AI within legacy enterprises. Maybe you can break up what those components are and what you've seen from, from your vantage point. Yeah, Dan, thank you for the tee-up. So, you know, for the last few years, we've been seeing organizations, traditional organizations jumping big into the AI and data space. And often some of those first steps involve you know, building up a, a core capability or a core team by setting up some sort of a data science or an artificial intelligence center of excellence in the organization, some centralizing, some federating that out, getting standardized in terms of the different tools they use, the different ML ops capabilities that they have, and start to go on an awareness campaign across the organization looking for use cases. And this has been a really great movement in helping organizations build a capability and build readiness to be able to do AI and to be able to do machine learning at scale and helping them start to tackle the change that's required in the organization to make decisions differently. And so when you say bottoms up, part of that is this sort of center of excellence effort. And there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if I'm almost creating a little bulleted list here, we, we might end up doing a little article about our, our interview here today. Bottoms up components might involve, well, you mentioned center of excellence. Maybe it's also hiring our first bundle of data science leaders and maybe data scientists. Maybe there's data infrastructure things in here. What are these other elements of bottoms up that you see start to emerge when, when companies start this way? Yeah, I'd say that, you know, it's it, they're creating some libraries that exist for algorithms that they use on an ongoing basis. They're finding a way to be able to put their data environments and, and creating the ML workbenches to be able to work seamlessly so each of their data scientists don't have to do all the work on their machines themselves, but they can go to where all the data sits to be able to help scale that up. And then when I say bottoms up, I really mean that you engage in a lot of you know, individual discussions with team members about where AI or machine learning might be able to drive value in a place in the business. Yeah. So to end up kind of like building a portfolio of, let's say, 20, 50 different projects that all look interesting and are and all have their interesting nuance to their problem that, that, that then an organization would go and tackle upon. Got it. So we're talking about building our initial technical team, some level of center of excellence, and then we distribute out 
hey, everybody, and we've seen this happen a bajillion times, so have you. Well, we've got somebody who's who's strong, that they've, they're educated in terms of what this stuff can do and also the business context. Often, they'll be kind of a node and they'll figure out, okay, within customer service, we know that these problems are big. We're going to go talk to the subject matter experts, talk to the data scientists, build kind of some set of things that we might do. In marketing, we've got some big initiatives. Maybe there could be some pockets of value here, here, and here, and sort of spidering out at that base level and figuring out where the value is. Is this all part of what you would define as, as bottoms up? Exactly, Dan. Okay, cool, cool. So this is this is good. I think there's a lot of ways we could conceptualize what is bottoms up and what is top down, but now I get your vision. So you're, what you're getting at is, yes, this is this, let's talk to the roots. Let's, let's get to the actual little hubs of all the problems and figure out what bubbles up from there. Certainly better than what we saw five years ago where people would just hurl money in a dark corner at some random pilot, right? With no, no organization whatsoever, not treating this like a separate competence whatsoever. So it's, it's definitely a level up beyond that. And I think that's a good sign, but there's also, you know, some challenges with starting purely from a bottoms up standpoint. And certainly you've run into a number of them. Maybe we could break down a handful of, of what you've seen there. Yeah, absolutely. So so I think when you're going through the bottoms up exercise, we're tackling fundamentally critical, you know, topics for an organization to go from maybe being a digital immigrant to being a little bit more digital native. And that is by building the muscle in the organization to be able to start to go deploy AI at scale and starting to transform the culture where people in the business can think about how they might be able to do their work differently with technology and the way that it's progressing. But the risk that you run by tackling this just from a bottoms up exercise is that it's really, really hard to be able to demonstrate scaled value and compelling value across the organization in a way that would really excite shareholders and investors. And every company right now is either on the cusp of being disrupted, is being disrupted, or is having having to deal with the effects of, of gone through some sort of yeah, disruption. Yeah. For organizations, you know, bottoms up, you know, doing the grassroots movement, it's building capability, but it's not necessarily helping them compete with a disruptor that's coming for them right around the corner. And that's where, you know, we believe that you also need to tackle things more from a top-down approach. Yeah, we're going to get into top-down in a moment. And, and I guess when we think about I'll clarify a little bit of where you're going and just bounce off you of what we see with other other folks. One of the perks of the job here is getting to talk to the you know heads of AI at the Raytheons and whatnot of the world, and and you've had your share of experiences as well. What we've seen is that well, it, it might actually be possible to find very viable boots on the ground projects from data scientists talking to SMEs inside the call center or whatever the case may be. Find nice little pockets. The fact of the matter is. It is different than IT. And so if we do get budget for it and it's like, hey, boss, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to change this and we just sort of fight for it. Like we, we just we just go back upstairs the same way we would if we were just plugging in Salesforce or we're just plugging in some other software solution. We're not quite setting expectations well. And that that hasn't done a great job in terms of kind of enduring the inherent R&D type nature of AI when these things kind of pop up from the bottom and we're just sort of treating them with whoever's director of that division as like, OK, it's an IT investment. As opposed to, we need new skills, new collaboration, new data infrastructure. Our, we might not have the right features in this data even to make this project viable. We need to accept that. We've seen a lot of trouble getting through that stuff bottoms up. I, I wonder if there's any bit of that that resonates or, or, or pieces that you want to add to. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so so Dan, that's a, a great observation. And what we often see is that in, in order to be able to, when you do a project from the ground up and you identify, let's say that you identify if you can identify some churn, somebody that may be leaving the company shortly, and you can put a good prediction value on that. And we go through an estimate an estimate to figure out if we were able to prevent and save all of those people who were likely to churn, that would drive us, let's say, $50 million worth of value. That $50 million worth of value is all potential value. That's not actually realized value. In order to realize that value, we have to go through a series of steps in the way that we run our business, a whole bunch of changes in processes, a change in culture. Maybe we need to set up a team in the in the customer service center that's responsible for saves. And, you know, that starts to look a lot less like an IT project, as you say, or even a data science project. And it starts to look like a transformation, a full scale big initiative that allows an organization to be able to retrain people, to identify the right people, to build you know, the right culture and awareness, processes, maybe new technology that you embed the, the AI into. And you know, they go from this area that was nice as a Skunk Works project to now being a multi-million dollar investment to be able to go get that. If you're still working with the organization, maybe the director of that business, that becomes a big ask. They may not have that money in their operating budget, and they need to start to bubble that up to more senior executives to be able to get funds to proceed forward. Yeah, and we believe very, very frankly here, Dan, that communicating AI value to leadership is, there's no bubble around it as like a skill set unto itself that is necessary for making AI value come to life. Like we all know, oh yeah, we need PhDs from Carnegie Mellon. Oh, we definitely need people who, you know, maybe have success with AI projects, but somebody has to package the transformation required here in a way that's going to get somebody upstairs to, to really help kind of toe the line on this and very nuanced, tactful conversation that you're starting to set up. And this takes us to the top down elements, which is where a lot of the value is generated. We, re- we really think that, frankly, those conversations that set the course of the ship upstairs, you've seen it just like I have. How many millions can get wasted if we're steering the wrong way? And, and at the same time, how much great opportunity is there if we steer it the right way? Talk about what's involved in top-down. When you say top-down, again, think in bullet points, what are some of the components from that approach that are, that are involved so we can just get it in our minds here? Yeah, first, it involves really coming into it with an investor mindset. So, you know, what is the type of initiative that will help reshape the organization or be able to provide a compelling vision to the shareholders, right? You know, you want to be able to create an ambition that is something that your CEO will talk about in the analyst calls that they host once a quarter. And we often refer to this as coming up with the investment thesis for the organization. We find that organizations Mm -hmm. that tackle using the investment thesis approach to then go tackle, you know, an AI opportunity to say, all right, how do we create a new alternative business model? And I have some examples that I can get into in a bit, Dan. But, you know, going back to your question about bullets, that's point number one in the bullet of, you know, having a compelling investment thesis and then doing detailed planning against that investment thesis to figure out what are all the pieces that need to go together from a data perspective, from an AI perspective, from a change perspective, from a from a talent perspective to be able to then go live against that overall investment thesis that we've created. Got it. And when you, we can get into some examples, I would like to, to touch in on a few of those. The molding of that thesis, our experience here has been that 
if there isn't such a North Star, as we'll often refer to it, it is very hard to pull through the muck of some of what comes along with AI, which is investment-like problems. Some of what we put dollars into may not work out as a as a project. Some might, right? There's a bit of experimentation here. There's also going to be retraining, retooling. There might be improvements to data infrastructure. It's not just jacking you know, a plug into the side of our hardware and saying, okay, now we have this new capability. There's so much change. And that level of change has to have a driver. And if we run into hurdles, we have to pull through those hurdles in order to see that change through. It sounds like this vision you're articulating is what hopefully will pull us through those things. That's right. And, you know, and I would say I've seen, you know, the the North Star itself even needs some nuance as well. Go ahead. Right. Because I've seen a lot of organizations over the years create a North Star that is a nice way of being able to articulate value you know, the initiative and the strategy of what we want to go do from a technology or from an AI perspective, but it doesn't necessarily have the private equity mindset of what it's going to do to EBITDA or what it's going to do to my revenue over the course of the next two years. Yeah, Companies that do this well, it's, we are making this investment in this space because we think we can grow by $2 billion in the next four years. Now you have the CEO's attention yeah. and the CFO. And and getting buy-in at that part, you know, bullet point two in what do you need to do from a top-down perspective is have an executive sponsor. When you start talking big numbers of revenue and EBITDA, then now we're starting to get the attention from the executives of something they can go take to the shareholder community. Got it. Yep. And, and it's really interesting. You put emphasis on it a few times. Obviously, you guys work with some of the largest companies in the world. You've mentioned kind of something they could say in their earnings call or what have you, right? Something that could be part of such an announcement. To me, it was almost like, okay, is that a bit of a side effect? In other words, hey, if we're working on a big enough strategy, it might be something that comes up. Or is that something that you almost recommend? Like, hey, we want to get leadership so on board that this is something they're willing to talk about so that there's now tension on the line for us all to move in this direction. Like, is this almost an end goal? Like if you're working with a big client and their goal is to, okay, we really need to strategically put forth the investments behind this part of AI because Amazon's eating our lunch and yada, yada. Do you almost see it as a box check of, hey, this is real in terms of in investors, stakeholders, the company writ large, when we are actually bringing it up as part of our forward progress and our future growth on an earnings call? Like, Is, is that almost a checkbox we need to check or is it just something you bring up anecdotally? It's an interesting question. You know, as I reflect on that, I probably say it's you don't need the external community to, to hear it for it to be real. So the organization within can really drive that if you have the top-down support of that senior leadership team and you have that compelling vision for the future. But going back to a point I made around disruption, the investors are really savvy. They see that disruption is happening. And in every one of those analyst calls, organizations are talking about what they are going to do to transform themselves for the future, what their next big bets are. And I would say, you know, it's not a required, it's not a checkbox activity, but the real savvy organizations are talking about how they're using data and AI in those analyst calls. So Dan, maybe to summarize, not a not a checkbox, but something that is, you know, extra bonus points. So yeah, I, I, I like it. I've never brought it up myself or heard it directly, but you mentioned it a few times. So I was like, okay, this is great. I mean, clearly not 100% necessary, but interesting to see it as almost a flagpole. Like, okay, if we cross that line and it's presented cogently by leadership in a compelling high ROI, you know, you mentioned this private equity mindset way, 
to me, I mean, just understanding how many ways AI can get bungled in the enterprise, you'd automatically know, you know, if you know what, what's going on on some level, this person at least gets it. They, they have maybe not 100% likelihood that every project's going to work out, but they actually have this in line. So that's that's kind of a cool way to think about it. And maybe there are some examples around some of these visions and how they've come together. You know, you guys work in every industry under the sun, but maybe there's a few that you like to discuss that could be representative examples. I'd, I'd love your thoughts there. Yeah, Dan, I, I'll use them as more, uh, you know, representative examples shaped in the hypothetical just to protect, you know, any spaces. But, <laughs> yep, yep. you know, the the couple of examples that come to mind, like, you know, if there's, you know, we've spent a lot of time working with many technology or software providers in the space. And there, as you think about the organization in the future, you know, some of them are thinking about the way that they service any of the users in their technology space and starting to embed AI into their products. And what they've done is started to come up with a value that, you know, if we're able to use AI at scale in that organization, then we might be able to drive $500 million into the EBITDA, you know, as a result of the, the use of technology. Or there's a lot of consumer product companies today that through COVID and through all the forces that allowed people to get closer to their manufacturers in a way, now e-commerce is so prevalent to consumers where instead of going to the mall or going to a retailer to buy your product, you have a direct relationship with the manufacturer. In those instances, the manufacturer is really pressured against disruptors to build a world-class personalized e-commerce experience. They're using artificial intelligence to understand how their product is being used or consumed. And then they're driving in an automated fashion, new innovations that would be able to address unmet needs in that space. And an organization, if, if an organization is thinking about this and says, how can I make a bet in AI there, they can, you know, a million, $2 million in additional revenue, even in staying in their existing market space, you know, in their markets by, you know, through growth by using AI at scale. So these are kinds of the ways of organizations, instead of maintaining that thousand flowers in bloom approach of, you know, of the bottoms up, they get laser focused on how they're going to differentiate from some of the competitors in their marketplace and put a billion dollars worth of additional growth in the next in the next two years or $500 million worth of EBITDA, because those things are going to really attract investors and show them that they're serious about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really like this the general idea here of this kind of private equity framework that you're talking about, where if you can say, hey, we're going to do X and Y and differentiate in this way, and here's how it's going to hit the bottom line and the numbers are big, then whatever you're talking about, like you said, gets attention. And whatever you're talking about, I presume thinking about kind of the survival of AI and the, the value that it might deliver in the enterprise, that project may be able to get some new employees brought on board or some people retrained a little bit or some data infrastructure changed a bit because we're headed towards something big. We're not we're not staying in what we used to call the world of popcorn projects where just random things bubble up. You know, you said kind of a thousand flowers bloom or whatever or whatever. There's a, a lot of a lot of examples we could use there. So okay, so that's a good kind of compelling sort of high level vision that people could kind of follow along with. Were there any any under other sort of industry related things or or examples that you've used to make this cogent for business people? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple of other examples. Maybe, Dan, I can give you one more. Sure. The whole food 
space is going to become, you know, is likely to become more important in the future with everything that we're persevering with in the times today. I won't list off all the activities because I don't want to put an expiration date on our discussion. But nonetheless, we've seen a lot of companies in the food business start to use AI to transform their, their business model. Right now, you know, the food business kind of operates, you know, in a variety of different ways. You can either get your products from the grocery store, so manufacturers give their products to the grocery stores, or you can have instances where you have restaurants and people go to restaurants. But everything now is about how you can get personalized and do delivery and move to subscription-based services. And that whole move to a personalized delivery with the same level of quality or better quality than they get in their existing channels is an area that is ripe for tons of AI to make that much more personalized. And, and those represent opportunities for a company, let's say a company that's hypothetically, you know, a $5 billion organization. If they move into a space like delivery, they may be able to, to kind of double the size of their company over the course of the next couple of years. So we're starting to see a lot of that. And that's, you know, also something that's being recognized by the investment community as well. Bigger trend. So I'm going to get some closing bits of advice from you, but I'll, I, I want to bounce an idea off of you before we do so, just to get your thoughts. You know, when we think about the construction of a strong, you know, North Star, you had mentioned right off the bat, we have to have a really good tie to the bottom line here in a way that's going to capture attention. This can't just be a vision for a vision's sake. In our perspective, that, that often involves some understanding of what are the processes and the data involved and, and how the workflow is going to change. And there's a lot of components there. But we often see that those big thrusts, those, those, those visions that are compelling, and you just talked about food, for example, e-commerce, obviously, unbelievable amounts of transformation happening. We see them tied as sort of often two directions. One of them is, how are we uniquely going to win market share? Jim Collins, good to great, is actually, he's got a great technology chapter about the adoption of technology aligned with this idea. But but how are we going to differentiate the market, win market share? What does winning market share over the next five years look like for us in, in the market that we're in? And being able to say AI could support that is one nice way to get a bunch of juice behind a project. A second we see occasionally is also, what does it look like to run, maybe even streamline our operations. So right now things run this way. We got yellow pads over here. We got a guy in a forklift over here, a thousand things going on. The future of our operations should be this smooth, this fast, this efficient. That's often another anchor point that that is able to get that that flow of genuine investment and buy-in from, from the C-suite. Are there other categories that you have also seen? Because I, I certainly wouldn't want to call those the only two. I'm just telling you what we've seen more of. But I'd love your thoughts there because you're, you're in a lot of these boardroom convos. Yeah, Dan, that's a great question. So one big category that I would add to that mix is actually in new business models and alternative business models that organizations are not in today. I, I, you know, there are studies, you know, more and more studies that are suggesting that five years from now, many companies will have significant portions of their revenue driven by businesses that they have not yet entered in today. Yeah. And, you know, the first one that you described was within my existing market or within my existing customer base, how do I expand? Yes, Grow yes, market? yes, yes. Yep. Identify the new customer. So that's that's a that's a big area of play. Second was really around productivity and productivity. You know the metric we like to use. This is when you know you have that investor mindset. Is when you're thinking about you know EBIT or EBITDA or something like that. You know really really following the money down to the bottom line. But that third area is you know how can 
organizations use AI to create new line items on the P&L, new sources of revenue that have the opportunity to start to take on a much more significant path. And there's been books written on the topic that you need to be able to get to 10%, you know, for it to be a viable business or, you know, or, or sometimes even 20%. But, but that new business model innovation is an area where I actually think the best opportunity is for artificial intelligence to help create new sources of value for organizations. And honestly, the biggest, you probably will ask me this question next, but you know, the biggest source of missing talent to be able to go after that are not you know, the rooms of data scientists, but it's actually the strategists that are really smart on how to use data and AI to be able to solve new problems, which just to follow the follow the the dots, I imagine are many of the people that may be listening in today. Yeah, yeah, that's that's certainly a lot of our audience, and we're we're huge advocates here. I mean, I don't knock data scientists for five seconds. We've had technical geniuses on the show, and we will continuously into the future. Everything from a Yashua Bengio and a Stuart Russell all the way up to whoever. But at the end of the day, the steering of the ship of of defining this these north stars that you and I are articulating that you've seen as be so important they're going to be molded by strategists and so now we're speaking to strategists we're closing our episode out and I'd love from your vantage point you know if there's people listening in who they either want to ignite that person to be the catalyst within their enterprise or or maybe maybe they're going to play a role in helping to paint this vision they're frustrated with where their company is they they really do want to see change advance their career help their company out what are some bits of advice around this top-down paradigm that you've learned a lot about that are things that should really stick in the mind of aspiring leaders here in terms of how to make this actionable and see AI through to an ROI? Yeah, so in this space, that's a great question. In this space, I see a lot of or a lot of people that are looking to kind of build this skill set. They're self-learners. They're really motivated yes. to, to do their own learning. And I think many of them are focused on learning the technical bits, right? Because the innovations that happen every year are just coming at a faster and faster pace and are even more and more impressive. You know, one piece of advice would be also start to look at the moves that are happening within the individual's sector and industry. What are some of the startups doing? And how are the startups differentiating themselves when they describe what their services and offerings are? So as you start to pay attention to, you know, who the disruptors may be and what some of the trends are, not in the big organizations, although the big or not knocking them, the big yep. organizations can be driving it, but but paying attention to the, to the smaller communities, I think that's a really important area and space. And then I think also getting, as well as people are investing in self-learning in the ML space, they should also be looking at following the financials as well. And really getting a better understanding of how the organization runs and how that manifests itself into the P&L, maybe doing a little bit of benchmarking across the organization to see what is the shape of their financials relative to others. And then most importantly, spend time listening on some of the uh, quarterly analyst calls when their leaders are talking to the to the analyst community describing what they're doing for the future. Those three things, I think, get you in the mindset to now start to think about this from a, from an investment thesis perspective. This is great advice. So I'm going to try to nutshell this, Dan. If I mess anything up, please let me know. But this is one of the things I like to do at the end of an episode. We always like to say, no matter what industry people are in, we want them to walk away with something. You talked about the self-learner, pretty much the only people that would tune in on this, this program right now. Those of you walking your dog, you're probably not 
being paid to do this. You're probably doing this of your own accord, and I appreciate you being here. So, Dan, to, to do justice what you've just said, I almost break them into two categories. One was be aware of the trends that are shaping your space so that you can be informed of ideas that might be viable, might be useful for the future of, of your organization. And you're, you're putting a special emphasis on kind of the startup ecosystem, the companies that are maybe well-founded, they're getting a lot of customers, they're doing really interesting things. Look at some of your peers, but make sure you pay attention there as well. And just inform where stuff headed, because that's going to let you know what to pay attention to, because you can't pay attention to everything in AI. Second category seems to be think like the boardroom. And that means listen in on the analyst calls, understand the direction, strategy, finances of the business, and even as much as you can, the P&L, how the functions, okay, you're really excited about the, the call center. Do you even have an understanding of how it works? Do you know when it's a financial upside, when it's a financial downside? Do you understand what our current challenges are with that from a P&L perspective? If not, sink your teeth into that. And it sounds like if you do both of those things, when you talk to the boardroom, you're going to be able to win ears because you're, you're speaking the right language. Am I on the right page here? That was beautiful. I'm glad you recorded that for me. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Yeah. I, well, I do the easy job, which is summarization. You do the hard job of providing the, the heavy insights. But that was good. I, I like to make sure that our audience can you know, jot down two bullet points, go off and, and be better at what they're doing. And Dan, you did exactly that with us. I really appreciate you bringing the fire today. This has been an excellent episode. Thank you so much for being with us. It's my pleasure. You know, in closing today's episode, I think what Dan Diazio spells out for the three focuses as businesses in various sectors accept the sort of adapt or die environment that we live in today really underscores the true nature of AI across sectors as we move forward in the democratization of data and these technologies becoming more widespread. People will change and so will businesses. The wheels of progress never stop turning. And before I start to sound like a theme park ride in Disney World's Tomorrowland, on behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today. And we're going to catch you next time on the AI in Business podcast.